Hey, 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 what's up, everybody? This is Lindsay Lerner, and you're listening to The Cost of the Status Quo. More people than ever are questioning why they do what they do and forging their own path. And on this show, I sit down with these entrepreneurs, trailblazers, creatives, and overall awesome beings to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the overall tips and tricks they're using so that the rest of us can do the same. This is The Cost of the Status Quo. Today, we are here with Britt Rowe, an awesome human who can be found singing at the theater, creating in every sense of the word, influencing for brands she loves, and her most recent endeavor, Hella Awkward, a conversation game made to deepen connections and stimulate memorable moments, all while having a damn good time. Today, Britt is here to share a bit about her story and the tips, tricks, and habits she's learned along the way. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. It would mean the world to me if you subscribed, rated, and reviewed this. Welcome, Britt. Thank you so much for making the time to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. Heck yeah. So let's take it all the way back. Where in the world did you grow up? So I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is on the west side, the opposite end of Detroit. Everyone always thinks Detroit, but it's the opposite side. I'm about an hour away from Lake Michigan, and I'm the oldest of five siblings. So we had a rambunctious time growing up, definitely. But yeah, I'm a Michigan girl. I'm in the Mitten State. Where are you calling in from today? I am in Harlem, New York City, my second home now. (laughs) I've been in New York for like 11 years. It's crazy. That's a long time. So growing up, Michigan, were there any sort of expectations or thoughts around what you would be or what you would do when you grew up? I think I now think I was very lucky in the sense that I always had a really strong idea of what I wanted to do. I had a very strong passion since I was a little baby, basically. And my parents are both sort of dreamers in that way that they really allowed us to dream and kind of discover what that would look like. And I would sing pretty much every Sunday with my church. And then I found out, okay, I really like this performing thing. What what else can I do? How else can I make this work? So then I started dancing. So I joined this competition dance studio and we would compete every weekend, like a la Dance Moms, if any of you know Miss Abby Lee Miller. But it was so fun. I loved dancing. And then I was like, okay, how do I combine these two things? Musical theater. So then I started doing a lot of musicals in high school, performing, and I absolutely loved it and was like, all right, I'm going to go to college and study theater because I want to I wanna know how to be like a strong actor first. I got my bachelor's in fine arts. That was really my goal was, okay, I'm going to become a theater actor and I want to, you know, work on the biggest stages, which of course is New York. And so that was always kind of where I thought I would end up throughout all of college. And then when you're a senior in college, you you get to pick either New York or LA and you get to do like what they call a showcase. We basically invite agents and casting directors and you do like either a monologue or a scene or a song. And so you head to New York. What plan are we going off of at this point? Acting, there's no guarantee. Like you have to audition for anything and everything and you never know what's going to happen. So I knew I needed a job. So (laughs) I had to pay my bills right out the gate. And one of my roommates that moved with me from school to New York, she had been working at Victoria's Secret in Michigan and was like, oh, I can transfer my job and just get you a job. I was like, great. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. So we did that. And then because of that showcase, I also had a person who was like interested in freelancing with me as an agent. So that was great. And then 
there's a um, few different websites that you can use in New York to look up auditions. So I was registered on all those websites and I got here and I was, I was pounding the pavement, as they say. <laughs> I was up at the crack of dawn going to every single audition I can go to. And I was like, I just need to like start working and start working and figuring out how this all works and how you can make it happen. So I would say that first year, I was just like nonstop, like this is what I have to do. I have to, you have to be up at these auditions at like 6 a.m. in order to even get seen to audition. So every day I'm up at 5 a.m. getting dressed, going down to Midtown, going to these auditions, being there all day long, like literally all day long, trying to audition for as many things as I can. It's exhausting. You're like, I cannot keep doing this. I can't keep sustaining this. I'm poor. Like, oh my God, this is crazy. Hey, I can't buy anything. Literally me and my roommates would buy one like tall boy of Coors Light and we would split that. <laughs> that was like our drink at the end of the night. Those were like a dollar. <laughs> So somehow you're going to have to fill in the fill in the gaps for me here, because somehow rumor has it that you've worked with brands like Wander Beauty, Netflix, Suave, Carol's Daughter, to name a few. So you go from 25 cents a piece splitting cords with your roommates to becoming a successful influencer and working in that space. Walk me through that. And then what in the world does the influencing space look like now? Because that's that's something that we've talked about a few times now on this podcast is the amount of jobs that are now available that previously were not available. And being an influencer legitimately is a job, is a career, takes an enormous amount of work. I think a lot of people make fun of it because it's something that is so new and it's so foreign to them, but it's the world that we exist in now. Absolutely. So it's a funny story how it all started, but it's that same roommate from Victoria's Secret. In black hair care world, most people at that time had relaxers. So that meant taking hair from its natural curly state to being really straight. And my mom did not allow me to get one growing up. So I always was like, oh, I really wish I had one because everyone had it. And of course you want to assimilate when you're a child. So once I moved to New York, that roommate, she did have relaxers, you know, her, her whole life growing up. And she was like, oh, well, if you want to try it, I'm happy to like try it with you. I can do it for you. I've been doing it forever. I was like, sure, sounds good. Let's try it out. So you probably already know where the story is going, but all of my hair fell out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I had chunks of my my scalp had chemical burns and I had chunks of it that had fallen out. Not all of it, but I had chunks of it that had fallen out. So that's kind of what prompted me to not really touch my hair, know what to do with my hair. And I needed to figure out what products work for my hair now, how to regrow it in a safe way. And as I was kind of doing that, I was realizing, oh, I have these like curlier textures that I never really knew anything about. And so then I decided researching online and trying to figure out who else has this kind of hair, who else is kind of exploring. And it was very few people at that time, but there were some, there were some blogs, there were some not really like Instagram, but they do blogs primarily and like little videos on their blogs, stuff like that. So I would just like try things out. And then I started slowly documenting my little, oh, well, I tried this thing. I tried that thing. 
And that kind of just started slowly building. So people were interested and people wanted to know. And then my hair finally, after a few years, finally grew back fully. And at that point, influencing was still pretty new, but they were people were doing it. There were brands who were saying, great, here's some product. I want you to try it. I want you to you know, tell whoever in your community is interested and let them know how you use it, how you style. I was like, amazing. And then I was like, wait, there are people making money doing this? <laughs> Where's my check? Wait, what? <laughs> so then, yeah, I just had to figure out how to, how to kind of make a business out of it. And there were a few key brands that I just kind of connected with, like the people that are behind the brand really early on. And so then I just kind of maintained those relationships with them. Whenever they have events in New York, I'm always like at that event trying to maintain that person-to-person relationship. And I just really love those people behind it and love the product. And so then I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to continue working with you. And That's super interesting in terms of being able to take your skills that you've learned from theater, from acting, from obviously being ridiculously relentless when it comes to going after things that you want and being passionate about it. And so you were able to turn that into a career as an influencer. And then from there, what came next? As I'm doing this, I'm still like continuing theater. So I ended up, after a few years, I ended up joining a acting company called The Flea Downtown. So I was working with them primarily, which was really fun, but they didn't really pay any money. So you still have to hustle. Thankfully, I was making some money doing influencing And I'm still like, I'm very small. Like, I want to make it clear that I am like a micro influencer. You know, there are people who have a million followers who are making a million dollars a year. I'm not making that much money, but I was able to supplement, which was great. And so March 2020 rolls around. Everything literally, especially in New York City, came to a screeching halt. Streets are empty. And then what? There were definitely days where I was like, is there a way for me to get out of here? Because it's scary here. Like, what's that happening? But I just, you know, hunkered in my apartment. I was quarantining solo. You know, one person I would always talk to is my brother, Brandon. He's only two years younger than me, but we've always been super close. So we he's in Brooklyn. So it felt like we were countries away during pandemic because it's like wow I'm used to seeing you just running into you and be like hey what are you up to tonight and now it's like I can't even hang out I can't do anything so of course we would be facetiming and one of our favorite things to do is watch Insecure. Insecure is a tv show by Issa Rae on HBO. You need to check it out it's based in LA it's about these young black millennials who are navigating their life career relationships and it is hilarious. <laughs> so you're watching this with Brandon. I don't really know if it was just like a light bulb in his head. I don't know. But he just had a moment where he said, wow, we should really figure out a way to kind of continue these sorts of conversations that we've been having because I'm really enjoying these conversations. We just decided, what if we just put a bunch of conversation starters or ideas or topics or scenarios and just put them in a big document. And just whenever you think of something, you write it down. And then every week we would kind of go through and power through a bunch of different ideas and just brain dump onto this electronic paper. And (laughs) once we had hundreds of these, we were like, okay, this is, this could be something. We didn't know what it could be, but we were like, this is kind of cool. 
So we just, we compiled it together, sent it to a bunch of friends and family. And we're like, hey, can you walk through these? Ask other people these, give us some feedback on this. And people were like, sure. So once we got a bunch of feedback, then we were like, it was kind of shaping. We were like putting things together and it was like, huh, what if this, what if that, what if that, what if this? So Jane, his dog girlfriend, she is a product designer by trade. So she was like, oh, I want to design whatever this is going to be. So we're like, great. My brother has been working in like business development. So he was like, I don't really have a lot of time because I'm working, but Britt, do you think you can kind of like lead the charge on figuring out what this is? And I was like, great. I have nothing to do. So So, yeah, so basically it just became three of us figuring out how to make a product. What is this product? What does the design of an imaginary product look like? That was that was a fun time. That was really exciting. That's amazing. Well, the ideation phase is always the best. And so how did you come up with the name? So we had a list of a bunch of different names. And the first thing we did after we got that list was we looked legally and we're like, okay, what's already taken? What can we actually use? And that helped us cross off a few things. And then we just talked about like, okay, what does this feel like? What does it want to be? What is it? What, sh- what emotion should it evoke? <laughs> you know, how do we want people to feel when they see it and hear it? And so we were like, we want to lead more into like the uncomfortable, the funny, the fun, the the joy, the playfulness of it, the boldness of it. So we were like, okay, it's, it's awkward. Like it's inspired by insecure. And sometimes I'm awkward. Sometimes we're awkward and we can lean into that and then just embrace it rather than trying to avoid it, which is what we usually do. So let's just be awkward about it. I'm like, yes, yes, awkward. So they're like, yeah, awkward, awkward, awkward. And then because the show was based in LA, we thought bringing in the hella was fun way to just kind of call back to that again. So the Hello Awkward was then born and there was nothing already used. There was no business around Hello Awkward. There was no, you know, legally we could use it. On social we could use it. So I immediately just like buy the domain, all the social things, and then we're like, great, let's let's get started. When did you decide to jump into Hella Awkward full-time? We started June 2020, and that was like deep, deep quarantine at that point. That was basically the time that we did all ideation and figured out manufacturing, got the product made, and <laughs> opened up our pre-order in February of 2021. So at that point, we had like, we made our own website on Shopify. We made all of our you know, social accounts so people could follow us. We had a little newsletter. People could join our newsletter. You know, like we had all those like basic things done. So we're like, let's just open up a pre-order because I think we'll have product by then. Very optimistic of us. (laughs) Especially during quarantine. Supply chain. Especially during quarantine. We didn't get product until May. (laughs) So we started shipping pre-orders in May. And then at that point we were like, all right, let's just keep it going. Were there any certain benchmarks that you had or any definition of success that allowed you to continue to keep moving forward? We did. We had our own like KPIs basically in our mind of like, okay, if we, the first week of like 
our soft launch. If we could get this number, then like that would be amazing. We did. We hit that number in the first day. So that's when we knew like, okay. <laughs> and it was not like some big, crazy number, but we hit it. So that was very exciting for us. And we knew we wanted to keep going just because the response within our own network was so amazing. And I think that's what really pushed us to build is because our, our friends and family, they were like major keys throughout the whole process. They helped us from ideation, testing, word of mouth, shouting us out constantly. So could not have happened without our amazing group of folks around us, for sure. Obviously, like you touched on, Insecure was specifically created for and by the Black community. Obviously, Insecure takes place in L.A., is that a, the similar community that you've built around Hella Awkward on the East Coast now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just also noting that Jane is a Malaysian immigrant. So for us, it's about bridging cultural differences. So we want to make sure that, you know, all people of color are involved and like feel like they're a part of this too. And, and, and it's inclusive. Like everyone can play, everyone will enjoy it. But we did me and my brother, we did think, okay, Black people are top of our mind and we want to make sure that you feel yourself in this game and are like, you can go hard and be proud as Black people to say, yes, my folks made this, this is for me <laughs> and I'm here to support. Exactly. And that seems to be, I mean, a common thread throughout all of your career so far, especially like you mentioned earlier with the influencing. I mean, it's very unfortunate in terms of, I know you touched on it earlier about your friend and the relaxers and black hair care and lack of black hair care. And so that's important. And so that was obviously something that you're super, super passionate about and still passionate about and advocating for in that regard. And then now with Hella Awkward, not only is it a card game, but it's also it's a point of activism as well. Mm-hmm. 100%. You know, when we were growing up, it was not an option to talk openly about your feelings and your emotions and what's happening at home and the struggles that you're going through. You just, you swallow it. You don't talk about it. That's like completely taboo to do that. If you go to, you know, to school or you go to church or you go to your auntie's house and you start saying anything, it's like, don't talk about family business. It's that kind of vibe. It's very serious. And of course, you know, we're descendants of slavery on both of our parents' side. And so we've been in the U.S. for hundreds of years as slaves and then as continuing to work on the fields. And then you move up north hoping for a better life. And so that's how we end up in Michigan. So you just have that history also kind of like passing down through your bloodline. Of course, you're going to always think about your ancestors and wanting to make sure that what you make is to honor them. What is it like working with your brother, with Brandon now as a business partner? And second part to that, what is it like for both of you to be navigating through that experience of you two want to move forward in a different way? Well, working with my brother has been fantastic. We never thought we would start a business together. Like He's just a brilliant mind. Like I just admire him so much. The amount of dedication he has to just continue to build himself is inspiring to me. And I've learned a ton from him. Like he went to school for business. So I lean on him a lot when I, when it comes to so many things, I'm asking him questions constantly and I'm watching him and listening. And sometimes I insert the way I kind of operate into his very formal business kind of mind. And so then we can kind of balance each other in that way. 
but it's been really amazing having him be a part of this with me and doing it together. Our family now, they continue to always be supportive. Like they were the first people to buy the game, even though I was like, y'all, we're gonna give you guys games. Like we're buying the game. (laughs) It really is so, so amazing to have that for sure. What sort of strategies have you personally implemented over the last couple of years, both on the personal front, but also professionally that have allowed you and now the business to grow? One thing about me is I'm like an ultimate researcher. I like to know everything I can know about something before I get started. And it's like a pro and a con because it can also like hinder you and hold you back. So I'm really glad to have been working with my brother and Jane because it forces you to have to just figure out and do it. Because now I'm like, I have other people that are relying on me to have information so that we can make business choices. So I would say knowing that I can not have to be perfect on anything, knowing that I can have like, all right, this is the information I have so far and we're going to continue building that information list. But these are the, the decisions we have to make now. Knowing that I can do that is like such a great revelation <laughs> because I would always want it to be perfect before I started something and I would hold myself back. I think also professionally, use your network, please. You have no idea who, where, what. Like, there's just so many people who have access to whatever and want to help you. If they see you working hard at something, they want to be a part of it. People want to help. People are inclined to do that. And so if you just use your network, even if it's just like support, even if it's just, hey, can you share this on your social media today? Great. Thank you. Hey, can I talk to you? I'm just feeling a little stressed out. Even if it's like that, great. Hey, do you work at Spotify and you can connect me to your friend who also works at Spotify, who can maybe listen to my record. Cool. Like just using any little thing and just figuring out a way to bridge those gaps so that you can grow, learn what you learn, build a network, stay in touch. And of course it has to go both ways. Like for me, I'm always trying to be a resource. You know, there's like a really nice community of black game makers and I feel so excited to be able to share whatever things I've learned to people that are coming up and that are starting their own games. I can say, great, I've worked with this manufacturer before. Here's their email. I'll connect you guys. You have to reciprocate it and be a champion for other people if you're going to want other people to champion for you. So, A lot of the advice historically that I've received, especially in business and entrepreneurship and whatever you want to call it, I think that a lot of that has been very cutthroat, very profit-driven, very profit-over people. And I think that model is very much outdated. And so I think it's it's amazing just to hear you talk about the community that exists, the community that's out there, the community that you're a part of, and the willingness to be able to share those resources. Because I think the reality is there is more than enough for everyone. Oh my God, we can all eat. Like, There's no need to like want to take away from other people or to be jealous of other people's journeys. Like, just be excited. If you're excited and put good energy out, it's gonna come back. Before we wrap up, there are two questions that we we ask every guest and they are, what is the worst piece of advice that you've ever gotten? 
And what is the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten? So I think when it comes to people giving advice, I always can filter. So nothing ever seems like bad to me because it's always like, great, that's your point of view. That's your perspective based on your experience. Great. If that works for you, then I'm so happy for you to have that. That might not work for me and where I am in my life. So maybe it's something that I can jog to say, oh, maybe someday that'll come back and will work. Or maybe it just doesn't work. And I'm like, great. I can pass that on <laughs> to the left. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten? I think something my brother told me very early on is just, I can't even put it into like a phrase that makes it cool and nice. But basically I was like, oh, do you think we should tell people about Hella Awkward before it's like out? Like, like, should we tell people our ideas? Like maybe, it's, you know, we don't want to like somebody like to take it or steal it. And he was like, the precious ideas that you have in your mind, no one could ever work hard enough <laughs> to make that a reality like you could. So it's impossible for someone to steal it because you're the one that is going to work hard to make it happen. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's it. And what you said earlier touched on that idea of done is better than perfect. And just being able to just do it. I think we get so caught up, a lot of us in this analysis paralysis. And if you did that, then we wouldn't have hella awkward. And it's dope. Thank you. <laughs> for all of you who are listening, definitely go and check out and order and order and order more and be on the lookout for future iterations and or products by Hella Awkward by Britt and the team. Absolutely. And thank you so much for being here. Super appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Cost of the Status Quo and learning the wisdom, stories, and ideas that will have you feeling inspired and ready to take on the world. If you've enjoyed this, please remember to share, rate, and review. It means the world to me and the team putting it all together. If you're looking for more information, you can find us at costofthestatusquo.com or on Instagram at costofthestatusquo. If you've got any questions or curiosity about me, you can find me at lindsaylearner.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-L-E-R-N-E-R.com or on Instagram at lindsaylearner. Thanks again for listening. Hope you have an awesome day.